let's face it, in this life we will be challenged, sometimes beyond what we think we can handle. At times it can feel like we're being stretched to the breaking point. Whether it's work, family, raising kids, or walking out our faith, how do we deal with the day-to-day -day pressure? And where can we turn when we can't find the answers? Do we shut down or do we rise to meet the challenge? In the midst of our trials, we will be stretched, but we don't have to be defeated. Well, good morning. How are you feeling this morning? Feeling well? Woo, right? Like four of you are excited. The rest of you are like, I'm here. Awesome. Hey, I want to welcome those of you that are joining us from the satellite room or from Otis. We are so thankful that you are choosing to be here with us today. Let me just pray and then we will dive in today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity we have today to look into your word. And so God, today as we look into your word, we do so with full anticipation that you're going to move in this place today and that you're going to move in our satellite room as well today. Father, that today would be a day that we would remember, that today would be a day that we look back and realize and recognize that we need to surrender to you today. God, we love you and we thank you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible today. If you're in this room right back there on a table back there or back behind the sound booth, there are Bibles there for you. Or if you're in our satellite room back by where communion is, right when you walked in the door, feel free to go back there and grab a Bible. Holland would love to get you one today. We'd love to put one in your hand because we want you to actually thumb through this and flip through it and work alongside us today inside James chapter 4. Now, for those of you who haven't been with us over the course of this series, let me just kind of set it up for you. James is a writer in the New Testament. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's a leader in the Jerusalem church, and it's after Jesus came and lived and died and then resurrected, and then Jesus ascended back into heaven. James is writing to this church in Jerusalem. And what happened is, is all these people have now ran, they've fled because of the persecution that's taking place. Uh, people are trying to kill them, and so they just flee from their homes. And so James is writing this book to encourage them and to encourage you and I that we can still stand in the midst of all of that. And he's reminding us of good stuff. I believe that the book of James is really the wisdom book in the New Testament. I mean, in the Old Testament, you've got Proverbs and Psalms, great wisdom. I believe that in the New Testament, James gives us incredible practical wisdom as to how we can live a daily basis and daily life following after who he is and what he has in store for us. In fact, James is my favorite book in all of the Bible. If you were to ask me, hey, Ryan, uh, what would you like me to study? If I, could, if I could pick up the Bible and start anywhere, where would you have me start? And I would say this, and I've said this to students, I've said this to adults, I've said this to new Christians, I've said this to old Christians. I will say this, start in the book of James. On Monday, read James 1. On Tuesday, read James 2. On Wednesday, read James 3. On Thursday, what should you read? James 4, and on, you're, you're with me today, and then on Friday, James 5, and then take Saturday and Sunday and just listen to it. In fact, one of the things that I've done throughout this series, I've got a 10-minute drive from my house to uh, the office, and so something that I'll do is I'll actually uh, take a couple extra turns to get to the office, and I'll turn my YouVersion app on, and I'll listen to someone read to me the entire book of James. It takes about 15 minutes in total to listen to the entire book of James. I prefer that over trying to read while I'm driving. It just doesn't seem to work out very well. Well, a few weeks ago, Dan kicked this series off, and he talked about suffering in trial. And he talked about what that means to follow after God in the midst of all that and, and uh, in the, the circumstances that so many of us in this place find ourselves in. That was a very practical, practical piece of Scripture. And then two weeks ago, we talked about it's one thing to believe, and it's another thing to actually act on it. It's one thing to know and another thing to do. And so let me ask you today, how is your doing doing? 
And then last week we talked about taming of the tongue. And I don't know about you, but I caught myself all week this week, uh, whether it was standing in line behind someone who was writing a check at Fred Meyer, or whether it was, uh, you know, talking to my kids, or whether it was talking to my wife, or talking to somebody here at the office, or out and about. I just found myself this week ready to just allow the tongue to begin to speak, and then I would bite it. And maybe you're the same way. Now, why do I give you that recap? I give you that recap for two reasons. Number one, so that if you missed a week, you might go back and listen to it on our website. But I tell you that too, because all of James, even though it appears to be very random, all of James is intertwined. In fact, I would say as we wrap this series up today, right here, right now, that there is one verse that can really sum up this entire series. That if we truly want to be stretched for good, if we truly want to be stretched for what God has in store for us, we can take this one piece of scripture, this one piece of advice in James chapter 4, and it's going to bring everything home. And so let's start there, and then we'll work our way back. James chapter 4, starting in verse 10. This is what James says. James says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Now, time out for a second. I grew up in an old school church. Anybody else grew up in an old school church? Yeah. Now, here's the deal. I love my old school country church. I love everything that we did. It was a great opportunity for me to grow in my own relationship with God. I enjoyed the songs. I enjoyed the time together with the folks that I had there, much like I enjoyed the time that I have with you guys. But here's the thing. There was a song that was sung in my old school church that every time I read James chapter 4, there's this song that begins to play on repeat in my head. You know what I'm talking about? Humble thyself in the sight of... Now, here's the deal. Not only that, but it played on repeat this week. Every time I would open up my Bible to look at this scripture, every time I hear it on YouVersion app, or every time I read it, it doesn't just play in my head. It actually plays in round. You know what I'm talking about? Humble thyself in the side, humble thyself in the side, and he and he will live, will live. Everybody, higher and higher. Sorry. <laughs> now, here's the deal. This, this is free because on Thursday, you don't know this, but on Thursday, we have a lot of fun on Thursday nights. And one of the things that we do is we actually allow people to text in questions on Thursday night. And so I got to this point in the message on Thursday, and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to text in, can we please sing that song in round? We had 42 text messages with that on there. We had 43 people at church that night because Gonzaga was playing, but 42 of them, 42 of them said, hey, can we please sing that song in round? And it was awesome because uh, Dan was here, I was here, and then Adam, he was here. And so what we did is we had Adam, he lead this group, and I led this group, and Dan led this group. And the, the best part about it was uh, I think the one text we didn't get was from Eric Svensson. He did not want to play that song at all. Did not, did not, did not. And so he was in the back of the room. I said, hey, Eric, come on up. And he's, he reluctantly was like, all right, I guess I will. And so he comes up. And I love Eric because Eric actually comes all the way to his keyboard. And he's like, I don't know if I know this song, guys. Now, some of you are already judging me because look at that. But that's, that's another thing, all right? That's, that's it's its own thing. But he goes, I don't know if I know this, guys. And he walks straight over to the keys. Literally goes, and we're like, oh, are you kidding me? Just by memory, he can just play that. So it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, don't we have an incredible worship team? Don't we? I mean, just, just the talent, just the talent of that team. But, but here's the thing. You look at that scripture, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up higher and higher, and he will lift you up. And if you think about everything we've gone through, whether it be trials, whether it be hearing versus doing, whether it be faith in deeds, whether it be taming the tongue, if we could just do this, if we could just do this one thing that James asks us to do, to humble ourselves before God, everything else falls into place, doesn't it? So why is it so hard? 
Why is it so hard to actually come before God in humility? Let me define humility. Humility is a military term, meaning coming under the authority of. And so to set up our day, let me ask you a series of questions. Is God greater than you? Is God more holy than you? Does God have more grace than you? Is God more powerful than you? Does God have more control than you? Is God more pure than you? Is God more loving than you? If you answered yes to one or to more of these questions, why wouldn't you want to come under the authority of God? I'll tell you what keeps us from coming under the authority of God. It's our own tendency. It's our tendency to say, you know what? I want to do things my way. And God leans in through James and says, there is another way. There's my way and there's your way. And God's saying, I want you to do it my way. And to do it my way means you've got to come humbly before me and I will lift you up. And so how do we do that? How do we come humbly before God? I'm so glad you asked. Let's go back to James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is what James says. James says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? Now, hit pause, because some of you are like, wait, weren't we just talking about humility, and now he's talking about conflict? I don't quite get the connection. Oh, you will, and it's going to hurt when it comes. James starts off, and he's talking about conflict, specifically how you and I respond when it comes to conflict. And let's be honest, we're not very good at it, are we? As a culture, we're not very good at it. As a culture, we try to avoid it. In fact, when we see that person who likes conflict a little too much, they worry us. And I know that in a room this size and over in the satellite room as well, I know that there are probably some people in this room and that room who love them some conflict. Guess what? We don't. (laughs) Conflict is one of those things that just we'd rather not deal with. And you want the proof? The proof, I mean, look at marriages. Look at families. Look at the workplace, look at politics, look at races. And what we know that is if conflict isn't handled well, all sorts of bad things happen. You go back to the first siblings, I mean, Cain killed Abel after all. Jacob and Esau, the Jews and the Gentiles, God and man, we'll get to that later. Conflict is not new. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if on your way to church today, there was actually some conflict in your own household. Whether it was getting the kids ready, whether it was the kids weren't cooperating, or whether the spouse wasn't doing what you needed them to do to get here, for whatever reason, I'm guessing that in a room this size and over in the satellite room as well, that there's probably some conflict in this room. And don't elbow them right now to, to, to signify that. See, if you aren't currently fighting with a sibling or a neighbor or a relative or a boss or a coworker, the truth is you soon will be. And so we need to ask the question, not how do you win a fight, but rather how do you win a friend? See, if you want to win a fight, you ask, what, what did he do? What did she say? But if you want to win a friend, you have to ask a completely different question. Why are we fighting? See, winning an argument is not going to solve the conflict. I'll say it this way. When we fight to win, the relationship loses. When the goal of the fight is to win, the relationship loses. I mean, look at marriages, look at communities, look at relationships. When the conflict is more about winning than it is about resolving the conflict, the relationship always loses. I mean, we might get what we want, but it's like we think that if by getting what we want, we're going to just push that agenda and push that agenda and get that thing done, and then that person that we've, we've wronged in the midst of it, that person we've been in conflict with, by winning the fight, we think that for whatever reason, that person's going to come back to us and say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for not letting me get my way. Thank you so much for, seeing, for showing me how wrong I truly am. Thank you so Let me buy you lunch while we're at it. See, the root of what James is getting at is this. 
Underneath every conflict is a craving. Underneath every conflict is a craving. You know why you fight? It's not because of what he said, not because of what she did. It's because of what you want. You're like, no, 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 Ryan. The reason we fight is because they're an idiot. That's the reason we fight. The reason we fight is because they're so wrong and it's going to take someone to come into their world and show them just how wrong they are. And so here I am, Lord, send me. And James says, no, it starts with you. I mean, you want something out of this. You desire something out of this. There's something inside of you that you want to get out of this. And you're like, yeah, I want to get that project done, but I keep hitting roadblocks after roadblocks after roadblocks. I just want more money in our savings account, but that person keeps spending money. I just want a better marriage, but he does this or she does that. I just want to raise more respectful and successful kids, but they're not cooperating with the process. I just want our company to be more profitable. I just want to get this one thing done, but it doesn't seem to be going my way. Something I want is causing conflict in the relationships. And and James is asking the question, why has it gone from conversation to conflict? Reminds me of one of my favorite movies. It's a movie about a retired superhero. This retired superhero, all he wants to do, he's got a desire, and his desire is to save the world. That's all he wants to do is to save the world, and he's about ready to run smack dab in the middle of a conflict he doesn't even see coming. Check it out. Super suit? What? Where is my super suit? You ever been there? And here you got Frozone, and all Frozone wants to do is to go out and save the world. He's got this desire, doesn't he? I mean, this is what he was made for, was to go and to save the world. But his wife, she has a different desire. And James comes back at us right at the beginning of this scripture, and he talks about how you and I, we have desires. That's what causes conflict. And this word desire is actually the word hedonism. That's where we get the word hedonism from. That everything is meant for my happiness. The goal for everything is for me to be happy. Let's be honest. It's not that we want to get that project done. It's not that we want to have more of a secure financial situation. It's not just that we want to have a better marriage. Yes, we want all of those things. But somewhere in there is something that I want and you want for me. It comes from within that there's something in there. I want to be more successful. I want to feel more respected. I want to feel more safe and not have to worry about money. I want to feel more competent. I want to feel more accepted. I want to feel more admired. I want to feel more recognized. There's something in there that I want for me. See, isn't the real reason why there's conflict? Is because it's gone from something that I want and I have to get it from you. That's the battle that's inside of us. And it's important to let that breathe for a minute to play back the tape of the last conflict that you were in or maybe the conflict you're in right now, to play that back, to say, you know what? Here was the goal of what I was actually trying to get out of that. 
And just about the time we think James is going to let up, James is about to pour gasoline on a fire. James chapter, two, chapter 4, verses 2 says this, But you want, another word for desire, but you, you, but you don't have. And so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. And so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. James says, hey, you want, you have a desire, and it's a different word for desire. It's actually the word overheated. You become overheated. You ever been in a fight with someone, a quarrel with someone, and you're like, why are you so heated over this? That's where it comes from. And James is pushing so hard on us because he's realizing that once we can own our own part, the more honest we get with ourselves is, here is to what I'm trying to get out of this relationship. Here's what I'm trying to get out of this fight. Here's what I'm trying to get out of this conflict. The moment we can begin to get honest with it, maybe the less angry I'll be with you. I mean, imagine for a second what would happen if in the middle of a conflict, you simply said, hey, time out. Let me be honest. Let me just pull back the curtain and tell you why I'm so heated right now. Let me just tell you why I'm so upset. Here it is. I don't feel safe. If we spend our money that way, it just causes a lot of anxiety in me. Or hey, listen, I just want to feel more valued. If I, could, if I could just allow you to listen to what I'm saying as we're trying to get this project done, it would allow me to, to feel more valuable in this project. I mean, can you imagine what that would do to the temperature of the relationship, to the temperature of the fight in that moment if you simply said, hey, here's what I want. Here's what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling like I'm not being respected and there's something inside of me that I just need to feel respected. See, if we want to solve the conflict, if we want to resolve it, we have to own our parts of the conflict. And then he continues. Second half of verse 2 says this, Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James says, hey, before you go to them, go to God. And some are like, I do. I do go to God. I say, God... Why don't you tell them they're being an idiot, right? Like you say, hey, God, would you just show them they're wrong? God, would you allow me to, to share with them just how dumb they might be in the midst of this? And so you're like, I do go to God. And James is saying, you go to God with the wrong motives. You go to God as a defense attorney, not as the judge. You say, God, could you fix them? God, could you show them where they're wrong? And James says, hey, you're going with the wrong motives. Before you get all heated and go to them, God, James says, hey, go to God first. And so let me just lean in and ask you, how's your prayer life? In the midst of a conflict, how is your prayer life? See, when you invite God in and allow God to be the judge of it, not your defense attorney, when you allow God in, it shows just how surrendered you are to him. And to the degree that you're surrendered to God is to the degree that you will allow him to come into your conflict. See, once we begin to get honest, we can consider that maybe the thing that we're trying to get out of that conflict is the thing that we can actually draw from our Heavenly Father by going to Him in the first place. When you're saying, hey, you know what, I just want to feel more valuable. Have you ever thought that maybe you can get that from God? I just want to feel more loved. I just want to feel more accepted. I just want to feel more acknowledged or more worthwhile. Maybe, perhaps, we can just draw that instead from our Heavenly Father in the midst of that conflict. See, I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, when he says this, don't worry about anything, instead pray about some stuff. No, he says everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Paul and James together saying this, instead of getting so heated, bring it to God. 
Allow God to be in the center of that relationship. Allow God to be in the center of your life. And so bring it to God. When you're in conflict, when you're not in conflict, bring it to God. Go to God. And what James is doing is he's setting us up. This entire book, James is setting us up for what he's about to say to us right now. Because this entire book, James has really said, hey, Take it to God. Allow God to be in the center of your life. You want to tame your tongue? Allow God to be in the center of your life. You got, you got to act versus, you got, you know, thoughts versus doing. You got to do. And you got to bring God to the center of your life in order to do. When he's talking about trials, you bring it to God in the midst of that and allow God to be in the center of your life. He's saying you got to put God in the center of your life. Through this entire book, that's all James has pointed us back to. In conflict, not in conflict, doesn't matter. Every single time, put God in the center of your life. And now he's about ready to just punch you square in the jaw. Here we go. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this. You adulterers. Now hit time out for a second. If you've been in this church longer than about five years, you know something. That for whatever reason, every single time the word adultery is found in Scripture, Ryan gets to preach on it. James calls us right out. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Throughout this entire book, James has said, hey, put God in the center of your life. Faith versus deeds, put God in the center of your life. Taming the tongue, put God in the center of your life. When it comes to conflict, put God in the center of your life. He's saying, put God in the center of your life always. And then in James chapter 4, verse 4, he comes back at us and says, hey, listen, you haven't put God in the center of your life. And he's talking to these individuals, but let's be honest for a second. He's also talking to us. And he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, and he's saying to these individuals right now, he's saying, listen, you've got to put God in the center of your life. You've got to make him your highest priority. Because when you don't, what you've really done is you've created idols. See, anyone or anything that you love more than you love God is an idol. I have the privilege of talking to middle school students often. And we just came out of a camp a couple weeks ago where we actually talked about idols and what an idol actually is. And so with your permission today, I'd like to just share that with you. And so we're going to create an acrostic. You know what that is? We're going to go I-D-O-L and each, word, each letter has a word beside it. So if you're taking notes today, this is great for you. All right, so here we go. I stands for individual. I stands for individual. That all of us are different individuals. God created us differently. We're not all the same. All of us like different things. And so for you, your idol, the thing that you elevate above God, whether it be a person or a thing, whether that be whatever it might be for you, we're all different individuals. For some of you, you've elevated sports above God. How do I know that? I know that because there were 43 people here on Thursday night. Because you've elevated Gonzaga basketball ahead of God. Maybe for others of you, it's your job relationships, or hobby, or food, or social status, or possessions, or money. That all of us are individuals, and we all have different things that we've elevated, different things that we love more than we love God. The D stands for distracts. So individual distracts. Anything or anyone that we hold higher than God distracts us from our purpose on this earth to serve and to love our God. That's why we're here. And anything that we've elevated above that distracts us of our major priority and our purpose in this world. It distracts us. 
You know, I have the opportunity to talk to students and, and adults alike, and, and I'll often ask them, hey, what are you studying right now? And they're like, hey, listen, I'm just not in the Word of God right now because I'm just too busy. Just too busy. Satan loves your busyness. Satan loves my busyness. Satan loves the fact that he can distract us with all sorts of different things so we can't focus on our priority here on this earth. The O stands for object of our affection offends God. The object of our affection offends God. Anything that we elevate above him offends him. God actually speaks about how he's a jealous God in scripture. Anything that we've put above him offends him. The L stands for limits our favor that God wants to pour out on us. It limits the favor that God wants to pour out on us. I don't know about you, but I like to get the most out of everything, don't you? I mean, when I go to Froyo, I make sure that I put everything I possibly can in my Froyo bowl, don't you? Like, I, I get the cherries, I get the candy, I put everything in there, and when I take it over, they're like $63. Awesome. But I like to get everything out of my experience. Here's the truth. In this life, I want to get everything out of the experience of this life that God has in store for me. And God speaks about how he wants to pour out a blessing on you. And God speaks how he wants to pour out a blessing on me. And I don't want to limit that favor. And so anything or anyone that we've elevated above the position of God is an idol. And James is calling us out in James chapter 4, verse 4, and he is saying to you, and he's saying to me, it's time to elevate God back to his original position. It's time to bring God back to the forefront. It's time to bring God back to the center of our life. And so how do we do that? James is going to give us a solution right here. James 4, verse 7 through 9, says this. We bolded specific words because I believe that these actions in here are what we need to do today. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Nine commands packed into three short verses. Uh, James says this, he says submit, he says resist, he says come near, he says wash, he says purify, grieve, mourn, wail, change. Nine commands packed into three short verses. You know what he's really doing? He's saying, hey, here's what you need to do. You need some old-fashioned repentance. Not feeling bad for what you've done, but actually making a change in your life. If you take these nine commands and you sandwich them into one verse, guess what you get? Verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So why is that so hard? It's so hard because our tendency is to want to do things our way. Our tendency is to say, you know what, God, I got this. And James is leaning into your life today, and he's been leaning into my life all week, and he's been saying this, hey, listen, just like there's conflict with man, there's also conflict with God, that anything or anyone that you've elevated above God is going to, to drive conflict and drive conflict and drive conflict. And so what do we need to do? We need to go to God. That's what James says. Go to God and allow your pride to, to be washed away. See, our tendency, isn't it? Our tendency is to say, you know what, I'm gonna do this my way. I mean, my pride causes me to blame rather than to admit. My pride causes me to point my finger rather than to own my part. And if we're truly gonna be stretched to the point of humility, our pride must get smaller and our love for others must get bigger. Malachi spells this out great. Malachi chapter six, verse eight. Says the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. 
to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your, with your God. Our pride must get smaller, and our love for others must get bigger. So how do we do that practically? Let me give you one quick practical thing you can do this week. On your seat or on the seat next to you, you've got this card. It's a wonderful little card. It's an Easter invite. You want your pride to get smaller this week? Invite someone to Easter services this week. You want your pride? It's going to take a little bit, it's going to take a little bit of humility this week, isn't it? To go out into the world, to go out into your workplace, to go out into your family, into your neighborhood, and actually invite someone to Easter. Now let me say this about this card. This card is no longer good after today, meaning this. We have a million of these cards left, and if you don't take 500 of these apiece, we're going to have a lot, right? We're going to have a lot left. I, I'm not really good at math. That's fine. But we're going to have a lot of these left. So we're asking you, take these with you today. Take them into your workplace. Take them into your neighborhood. Take them into your family. Take them, use them as coasters. I don't Just get them out of here. Because here's the deal. These are time sensitive. They don't work next year. And here's the thing. It's going to take a lot of pride getting swallowed to go to someone and say, hey, I'd love for you to join me this year at Easter. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this week to allow the humility of God to come over you and to take some cards with you and to actually begin to invite. Your pride has to get smaller. Your love for others has to get bigger. Also on your, on your chair next to you today is this. It's an Easter invite countdown. Your love for others has to get bigger. You want to talk about loving others? This card right here is going to allow you this week to love others very, very well. We've given you some practical ways in which you can actually go out into your environment that you find yourself in on a regular basis and actually love others very, very well this week. So I want you to take this card and just be reminded this week of all the things that you can do for other people to love others well. Your pride must get smaller and your love for others must get bigger. You want a blueprint for this? Let me give you the best blueprint we got. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. It's what Paul says about Jesus, the perfect blueprint of it all. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges as he took a humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Christ did it. Christ gave us the blueprint of how our pride must get smaller and our love for others must get larger. And he had so much more to give and he had so much more to lose. And church, we have so much more to gain by humbling ourselves before him. You know, I love this week. I told you earlier that, that I grew up in a small country church. And this week means so much to me because this week is Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. It's a day in which Jesus was on his way in knowing he was going to be crucified. And a number of people lined the streets with some palm branches. And they waved these palm branches to signify Hosanna, Hosanna, to signify that he is the Savior of the world, to signify that he is their King. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he's going into that town to be beaten and battered and tortured and hung on a cross for your sin and for mine. He knows exactly what he's about to face. His pride gets smaller, but his love for others gets bigger. 
It's the perfect blueprint for us today to realize and recognize what Jesus Christ did for us. Why wouldn't we elevate him? Why wouldn't we bring him to the center of our life? If he's willing to do that for you and for me to wipe away and wash away all of our, shin, all of our sin and shame and pain, willing to wipe away all of that, why wouldn't we elevate him to the center of our life? Why wouldn't we bring him above everything else that we have? And so today is a perfect opportunity. Today is a perfect opportunity for you and me to bring him to the center of our life.